0: Hi everyone and welcome back to Front Page Football in the Capitol. I'm your host Jérémy Magan and this month we're going to stay in the family that we started last episode, Ash Sykes, with our guest, well this month it's Nicole Begne Sykes, Ash's twin sister, who's giving us the honour. To joining the podcast. Nicole is the coach at Canberra Olympic, the WNPL team who won both the league and the grand final here in the capital. The NPL season is over, so who better than the coach who won quite a few trophies in the past couple of seasons to come and talk to us about her management style, how she built the team and what she's doing now in the capital. Stay until the end uh, when she talks to us about her, her future, some surprising news there. It's not the last episode of From boy in the capital. Of course, the NPL is over, but Canberra United and the Liberty Ailing is coming up, so we'll keep giving you some news of what happens in the middle of Australia. But for now, enjoy this uh, very interesting chat with Nicole Beck, the young but successful coach of Canberra Olympic. What a goal! Max Green with a stunner. Daniel Balaji must score. He's gonna score. Canberra Croatia leads and they've got one back it's unbelievable what a finish it's in it. it's 1-1 Andre Carr from the bench mayhem in the Panthers ranks Bonjour Nicole thank you so much for taking uh, some time off your, your busy schedule to uh, to have that chat with uh, Front Petropole in the capital and uh, I'll start by what matters i guess congratulations uh well done on on getting another trophy this season um how are you how do you feel a few days after this uh, this great victory
1: Uh, a little bit better rested now a few days later which is uh always nice a bit more effective at work but um yeah feeling really really good and it was such a good way to finish the season uh really rewarding um for us as coaches and and the girls as players, so really, really happy with that.
0: Seven goal thriller. That's a good way to uh to finish the season. That's a good way to end up a grand final. Last year it was a a little bit easier. You you scored the four early and then only one uh, for, for bacon later on. This year they really uh, gave you a a good game until the end.
1: Yeah, it was such a crazy game, especially considering. I mean, both teams, but like us in particular, were so stingy in defense all year long and then we get to the final and it's seven goals so uh yeah i think uh i think janet and the defense were keen to just test out our um patience at the end there and see (laughs) if they could um test us out a bit but no it was it was a good game and like exciting you can definitely say that for the final final game of the season
0: how how is uh, Janet? By the way, we said on commentary that it was so uncharacteristic of her to, uh, to, to give her one goal and then like ten minutes later a second one. Unfortunately for her, she arrived. I'm sure the the happiness of like took that away.
1: Yeah, I think she she's gonna be fine. She's uh, I think she couldn't quite believe that it was happening. Like apart from that, I think she'd only conceded seven goals in all the games that she'd played. So it was a bit unusual. Like she's been outstanding for us this year and has come like leap by leap from even last year to this year so um i mean we're not gonna hold it against her because she's been that good for us this year um and she's allowed she's allowed a couple of mistakes it's just funny that it happens in the last game
0: (laughs) yeah it's always always the way i guess at least she was backed up by the rest of uh the 11 and she did a few important saves too um but yeah the, Uh, yeah. the, the success in the end probably uh Makes it all uh, funnier when you when you reminisce that that great final. So two two titles for you this season, and you and for Canberra Olympic, uh, the the league championship and the the grand final. Uh, at the I remember us talking just before the Charity Shield at the very beginning of the season, where we were wondering if you were going to get all four uh, trophies: the Charity Shield, the Federation Cup, being the the other the one, of course hours well, later the charity shield was uh was lost against Canberra croatia and then uh in fed cup semi final um you lost to, to gangren united who seemed to be one of the teams that you didn't really uh, like to play against this season at some point uh how did that w- when you re- reminisce you know th- those moments uh you know when you start the season with um that loss in the charity shield mind you um very quickly forgotten with two wins with Canberra Croatia just after uh, how did you feel with the group you know when you get out of the federation cup when you realize that there's two out of four trophies that are gone there's still two to go and and get um what you know what was the feeling for you and, and in the group at that time of the season
1: I guess it's one of those things where it's just about keep maintaining perspective because at the start of the season you know we wanted to try and win the league and win the grand final again so they were our ultimate goals um coming off the back of last year I think a lot of the girls hadn't gone that deep in the finals for a while and like a lot of them were new into that you know experience and the high of the season and pushing to get to you know the success that we did so everyone got a lot of time off um at the end of last season so we knew it was going to be a little bit of a slow start getting everyone up to speed again Uh, we had a lot of changeover again in the off season with some hugely experienced players stepping away from the team so big holes to fill, so it was just kind of, yeah, obviously a little bit nerve-wracking to start off with to say, oh, how are we actually going to go? Um, but I guess for us it was just focusing on the process uh, week by week and seeing where we could end up by the end of the season. Um, and I, for us, I guess it was a little bit about finding, figuring out where we are going to get some depth from to replace a lot of those players. And through the year we saw a bunch of different of the young players stepping up. Um, through the squad, but also being able to utilise different players at different times and in different positions was really helpful. So, And we hadn't quite figured that out at the start of the season. So, yeah, definitely a little bit worrying to to begin with, but, um, yeah, it kind of played out nicely in the end, I guess. (laughs)
0: yeah you you lose you lose ash of course but uh, you know you also lose sarah johnston and uh, uh, meg roden um there there was a, a leaf forgetty there's definitely a few players that uh were, were in your first team uh, more often than not last year and all of a sudden when here you you, you said it's there's obviously worry at the beginning of the season when that happens. Did you expect the amount of talent coming up from the from the reserve and, and younger? So, uh, Madison Kasha, that we just do a, a post-buy in front pet football, but also um, Thea Astland, Lily Alves. Uh, there are a few players that have uh, made Denmark in, in the first grade this season.
1: Yeah, I think um, we knew that those girls were coming through the pathway for a while now, and we're kind of waiting to see whether, when they could hit that first grade ready Um, and, you know, this year was really their first introduction into senior football with the reserve grade side, which is, you know, they're all talented players, but it's a different style of game and different challenges going from girls to women. So we weren't sure what kind of impact they were going to have. And it was just good that we had a lot of those senior players ready to help them in both reserve grade and first grade come along. And, you know, we saw some of them kick along at different speeds like Alexia Cern was ready early in the season to come on and play tia burridge made some big impacts early in the season scoring some big goals for us as well and then you know maddie kasha came along a bit later and liana and taya so um yeah it just shows that you know there's a bit of like toing and frying i guess with with kids that age um and when they're ready and when they need to take a step back for a bit but yeah, we just ben, you know benefit from the the structure and the system overall throughout the year, and and the fact that they did keep kicking on. And Maddie's the perfect example; she just took a opportunity in the middle of the season, and she didn't let go. So
0: it's nice when it works that way. When and, and when you're the coach, uh, is, is there a moment in the season where you know the it was quite dramatic, the end of the uh, the league, uh, where you end up getting the the title uh, at, at the twentieth sort of uh game day and and at some point it looked like it was all going to be belconnen uh because they felt ahead. Uh, um is there a moment where, where you're doubt and, and is there are there any moment in that season that you definitely remember where you felt like something clicked and, and was going to put you over the edge
1: i guess for us there was like moments where you definitely doubt like the semi-final that we lost against Gangalan. but then there's those close wins through the year where I thought, okay, we're going to be all right here. Like there was, um, I can't remember at what point it was, but it was like early after the first round, we kind of came together as a senior squad and said, like our target for this year has to be the league and we think we can do it in reserve grade and in first grade. And we weren't sure, um, like we weren't on top of both of those leagues at the time we made that statement and that commitment to each other. So it was kind of, you know, putting it out there, but I guess the players responded and, you know, focusing on the fact that you go, you know, one week, one week, one week, and what can we get better at in training during those weeks, and just let that take care of itself. If we do our job, then the rest of the results play out, and we see where we're at at the end of the season. Um, but yeah, there was definitely some moments like there was a really close win against ANU, who were a really tough opponent this year. Um, we were at ANU we won one 0 um, where you know a lot of the girls didn't have their best game. It was kind of scrappy throughout, but we managed to score a goal. And it's kind of like one of those defining moments to say, you know, we even though we got through that kind of game, we found a way to win. And that's what you know helps you win those league titles is, can you find a win um, out of anywhere? And in those big games, can you find a way to to dominate those big moments and actually turn that into a result? So yeah, Moments like that, I think, is where we, we realised if we keep staying the course, then then we've got a chance here, but you never know what's going to happen at the end of the year, right?
0: Yeah, th- those are the, the champions' win. I feel like a few, like the top four, to be honest, all had their champions' win uh, along the way, like Canberra uh, Croatia beating Belko on that lucky shot from Brit Palombi early on, uh, Gungalin when they ended up uh, having a success against Belcon as well. Uh, it, it felt like every team at some point had the advantage and had won that crappy game to try and put them across and then every single team also had their moment where they lose unexpectedly you guys against the wanderers uh and and, and like Gangalin and Bobelko both lost against uh, the academy uh what, what what do you think at the end makes the difference was it, was it your defense because your defense was sensational this season was it you know the the experience in in this group
1: yeah I think that like what you said, our defense is what we like to build our teams off and make sure you know if you don't concede many goals, then you give your attackers the best chance to go away and win the game for you. And if you you know our defenders set a target for themselves to concede less than a goal a game this year, um, and they did that easily. So I think that set us up for success massively. Um, and like you said, you can win those games one nil um, uh, against either tough you know all the tough opponents, it gives you a little bit of breathing room obviously losses that you don't want to have happen always come along at some point. And I think that's, you know, maybe we'll talk about it a bit later, but the um, strength of the league at the moment is that there's a lot of teams that can take points off each other, which is, I think, a healthy sign going forward. Um, so, yeah, for us, I think setting up that defence and trusting in the process, helping the players succeed in those moments and be brave to take the game on and, and create a match-winning moment, I think that's a lot of the focus that we had throughout the year. and. Particularly in those last couple of games um, of the league, it was a lot about that. Like, who, which players can stand up in those big moments and execute something that's going to win the game for you? Um, and can everyone else work well enough as a unit to make sure that we're we're doing our jobs and keep ourselves in the game? So,
0: there's a bit of that feeling about about Olympic season this year. I was discussing it um, with Russ after uh, after you you lose in the qualifying final, where. You can't, you don't really see the marquee win um, for Olympic all season until that game against belkonen two game before the end where it was like, all oh, right, when they turn up, they turn up. Uh, but yet you won every game that mattered and you just lost twice to Belco and, and once surprisingly to the Wanderers. Um, but, but, yeah, like you said, the, the girls turned up where you when you needed most, them moved most to do it. And then, you know, after losing in the qualifying final, they do it again, both against Croatia and uh, and the Blue Devils. Uh, I mean, that, that must that must feel nice for, for a coach to see that, uh, you know, they're able to sort of like get it together when it matters most.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of trust there between the players as a group. Like they trust each other that they're going to be able to do that. And they, you know, I'm going out there, we're doing our job together one of us is going to do something to help us win those games. And I think that that qualifying final, you know, was disappointing to put the results out there. And I know the girls were really disappointed with their performances as well. It's just like one of those days where, you know, they catch you because they have a really good game and you um, don't play your best football across the park. Um, So they were all really keen to turn that around. I think they were quietly confident that they knew what their capabilities are. And like you said, there's not necessarily – It's not necessarily obvious some of the players aren't like individually standout players, but in their own right, they all are, and they all know how to contribute their strengths to the team, which gives you in those moments and in those big games, I think, such a big advantage um, to be able to to ride that wave. Um, And luckily, I think we saw, you know, not to compare the level, but to compare the attitude or something similar, you know, we've been able to see firsthand that kind of thing happen in the Women's World Cup this year um on home ground you know those those big games those big moments and how those teams come together
0: yeah absolutely that's actually a good a good a good comparison with, uh, with what we've seen in the in the world cup let's talk a little bit about um you at, at the head of uh, of olympics so you took over about three years ago now um sort of like at, at the 11th hour uh, of that season when you were supposed to be the reserves coach and you ended up being the first grade coach um you had that first year and then uh, the following summer uh, you you made a few interesting signings that sort of rocked the the competition a little bit uh, Mickey Thornton Nicole Jaloka I mean there's like 12 of them so I'm not going to go <laughs> through them all but basically very talented players uh, that were uh, starters in their club and that all joined um, Canberra Olympic at once C- can you explain to me I guess you know without without giving too much away of, of how it happened and why it happened um, A. what motivated that decision for you and, and B. how do you you know how do you approach girls that have that have won everything at Belco or or, or, do, or who have a sort of a bright future, a like young in like LKI Tulu, for example, to uh, to to tell them to, to come and join you?
1: Yeah, I guess uh, there's no real trade secrets here to give away, <laughs> unfortunately. But um, the first year that I was head coach, we actually made some big marquee signings in their own right, getting two Matildas in Ash and Heather Garriock to come along, and they like you know, the idea was always to try and create something that people wanted to be a part of. You have to put your actions out there, I think, for people to see that you're serious about it. Like, it's hard to bash your way to creating a full squad and a team. And even if you do do that, are they there for the right reasons? You know, you're asking yourself that question. So for me, that first year was a real success story and in, in that you could see, you know, we didn't necessarily get all the results that we wanted. We weren't a stellar team, but you know, we had a couple of really good players that were helping the rest of the team and squad learn and just develop as a unit. And I think a lot of people around the league saw that what we were trying to build, that we were taking it seriously, that we had a lot of um, momentum and focus on the women's program. And the, at the end of the day, um, all those players that came across in the second year were really approached us. Like, I didn't go out there um, headhunting um, anyone really. They all came to us knowing that that's what they wanted to be a part of. And I think really beneficial for me getting that phone call from Mickey to say she was keen to look for a change. Um, and I think that was probably the biggest um, kind of tipping point for the, for everyone else to feel brave enough to make a change as well. So really fortunate in that respect.
0: Yeah, I uh, I'm sure she'll forgive me, but I had never seen either Galoak really play before uh, before she joined the Olympic, and then you could tell, um, like two touches in. Like I remember the first game that I called when she was in. Then I was home, like trying to watch, catch highlights of of how she was playing and how she was on the pitch because the the way she was talking, we will use the word talk to to the refs and and, and to the other teammates and and to the opponents and and obviously her, her amazing left foot um I was like wow she, she she probably was she indeed was a very special player and yeah I can I can only imagine how uh, how important it must have been for the rest of the girls to see somebody like Heather um coming in and showing obviously not discounting your experience and Ash's experience as well in there so yeah. so yeah I guess that must have helped how do you manage to having all those players coming in uh, you know, like to, to, to do a, a simple comparison, you you have Victoria Jamison who's been here since the beginning of Canberra Olympic and who's been through, um, you know, the times that were a bit hard and then you have all those players who've won trophies somewhere else. Um, g- gelling in, is it, is it just, you know, down to, to your management style and to uh, having those, those conversations with everybody to make sure everyone's on the same page?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. It is always tough bringing such a new lot of faces into something that you want to protect you know the culture what we've talked about a lot before you want to protect that and make sure you know the thing that's attracted people to the club is the thing that they stay for um and that year because we had a lot of people leaving you know like it is the case with this league it's hard to retain players you know they've got life commitments they have work commitments they want to move so you do turn over a lot of players every year and we needed a lot of players because of that reason um, so it was really good to have a bunch of those new players coming in. I don't think we we didn't like um, lose any players because we had so many new faces. It was all needed and it was all necessary. And then it was just about making sure that the people that came across were the right fit for us. So having that conversation with them individually to kind of set the expectations, this is what we're about, this is what you're walking into you need to be okay with all of this before you come here. Um, And it's the same conversation for everyone, whether you're Mickey or whether you're Liv Fogarty, or whether you're Elka, like all those players, the expectations are the same no matter what. Um, And uh, I think as soon as people like that buy into it, you know that it's going to be good and easier to manage for yourself longer term and then, Having people like Vic Jamison um, as the leader and the captain that's been there through thick, thick and thin, you know, she's as responsible for the culture and what we've created as I am. So having her as a bit of a caretaker for that and the leader in that sense has been invaluable the whole way along.
0: Not not to to name and shame anybody, but is, is there a player that come in and you explain to them what's expected and they're like, no, no, I'm good? Like does that does that happen or or you're lucky no. enough not to face that?
1: I haven't had anyone that actually came in and said, "No, I'm good. I don't want to be part of it." There was a couple that you chat to, and you go, "I just don't think this is going to work out," um, and they find, they find their own way somewhere else, which is beneficial, I think. But yeah, yes, it's always the risk. You never know what it's going to end up like. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, at least you had—you look like you had a, a clear message and, and a clear uh, a clear path for how you wanted your, your team to play. Let's talk about that a little bit. Your your coaching style, I guess. Uh, when I uh, when I interviewed your sister here uh, last a few weeks ago, she said um, she mentioned the uh, the old black style, uh, no, no bullshit. That. Um, I've heard uh, I've heard throughout my management career in hospitality as well uh, where it's a, it's a good way to manage obviously the, the transparency, the honesty and and making sure everybody works for each other. Um, is that an aspect of your um, people's management uh, and, and what else um, I guess makes Nicole Beck the manager she is?
1: Yeah, I was ha- Ash Ash says some really nice things about me. I think it's probably the first time I've heard her say that so many nice things. I, th- I think she
0: expects she expects probably a bit back, so uh, so be babies. ready whenever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we can save it for the end. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess for me, um, my player management style is like similar to what Ash says. Like I think open, transparent communication. If you're authentic. Um, and genuine with the players, then that's what you get back. And, um, well, sometimes you don't even get that back, but at least it sets, you know, the tone. They feel like they can trust you. What you say is the truth. Um, and they feel like, you know, they can come to you with issues or concerns or questions. And that's kind of how I prefer to operate. I guess it's, it's quite player-centric in that respect. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, they're all in this uh, squad that I'm working with. They're all adults or they all get treated like adults. Um, They can make their own decisions. I'm an adult. We can talk. We can communicate. It's not like I'm the boss and you're the player, so you have to listen to me Um, because that comes with its own challenges, I think, because then as soon as something goes wrong, then it comes back on you as a coach. Um, So, yeah, that's definitely how I prefer to to operate as a uh, player manager. Um, And I think at the end of the day, it kind of empowers The players but it does add a little bit of pressure like it was an interesting um, perspective one of the girls turned around last year and told me that it actually added more pressure on them than they thought which was a different way of thinking Um, I hadn't heard that one before. Hmm.
0: Is is that a management that you met when you were a player and is that a management the type of management that you enjoyed when you were a player?
1: Yeah I think so I think I enjoyed having that relationship with the coaches that um that you could at least challenge or they trusted you to go out there and do your job and they expected you to do it so um being able to yeah I think it always created the most enjoyable environment as a player as well Um, and I guess at this level that's what a lot of people are still playing it's not like it's professional or anything like that you're there to enjoy your time there and to enjoy being part of a team so you want to create an environment that reflects that as well so when I was thinking about how what I, how I wanted to operate, how I want to interact with the players, I want it to be fun for me, I want it to be fun for them. And kind of this was the way to make sure that that happened um, in a lot of respects. So um, I think at the end of the day, it also ended up benefiting us as a team because they're able to go out there and make decisions on the pitch. They know that us as coaching staff trust that they can make good decisions. And even if they make bad ones, then that's okay. We just have a chat about it and we move on and and try and make better decisions next time and i think like the experience that you're seeing on the field in some of those big games where they can step up is uh, uh, at least partly related to that kind of empowerment of the players and making sure they can they trust each other and they trust themselves to go out there and get it done love it uh,
0: <laughs> what, what about the uh the football side of things your uh, i guess your tactical approach to to game what's uh I've seen I've seen your team playing in in different um, tactics. I mean there seems to be a, a nice little uh, affection for the 352. Uh but w- what's what's your your favorite way I guess of of playing football. Uh, obviously uh you like a, a strong defense and you did have one for a couple of years there. Uh what's what's Nicol's big uh, way of playing football or way of coaching football I guess.
1: Well as a player I think 352 and playing that wing back position was my favorite um it was the first I time right. I get the chance to go forward <laughs> as well. Um, but, yeah, as a coach, um, I've been really lucky to have some excellent coaches when I was a player. Um, Ray Juna was one of those that was always did a lot on principles of play um, in attack and in defence and building your foundation on the principles of play. So, for me, that's a lot of what I focus on is what are our defensive principles. Like I said before, if you don't concede many goals, then – you set yourself up for, for winning um, any kind of game. Um, and the same with the principles of attack, I guess. Um, for me, that's where the starting point is for all my teams. And then from there, we kind of adapt the formations to the style of players that we have, the team that we have, um, and what's needed on the day. So I think over my time, we've probably used a 4-3-3 um, a lot more than any any other formation, but that's just a lot to do with the comfort of the players. Like a lot of them have grown up with that. So they understand it. it's not, not anything new. Like we said, we've played a little bit of 3-5-2 when we wanted to, a little bit of three four three, Um, And then, yeah, this year we definitely changed formation a fair bit throughout the season, just to try and bring out different strengths. Whereas in previous years, I've tried to keep to the same one or two formations depending on the situation because I didn't really like changing things all the time on the players. So I guess, yeah, principles is, of play first.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, is that an evolution, uh, you, you know, t- going from trying to stick with that four-three-three because that's what the player knew how to do it, to, to trying to be a bit more versatile this season? Is that an evolution that comes from you as your, uh, I guess, uh, being more confident in your ability to trust the players or is that you think the players that sort of convince you that you can do that because of of how they were responding to changes
1: i think the benefit of like the benefit of having a lot of players the same this year to last is that they had that foundation of how we wanted to play already set so changing formation was a lot easier they knew how each other played as well and their different strengths so it did mean we were able to adapt. I think last year we stuck with the same formation a lot because we were still finding our feet as a group and trying to find those combinations. Even though you have stellar players throughout the, throughout the team, it still takes that connection to make the dream work. So um, this year with a little bit more continuity, it gave us that freedom. And, uh, you know, early in the season after some of those losses, we kind of realised maybe we do need to change things up a little bit game by game to try and... Bring about a different look look, um, and having yeah, a development as a coach, I guess, is being brave enough to do that because my tendency would be to try and keep things as um, stable and as simple as possible. Um, so changing things all the time, I don't, don't necessarily like doing, but I think the girls this year, they're all really mature, experienced players. So we're able to kind of do that as a unit.
0: It did feel a little bit, um, and I guess it probably even more towards the end, those two games against Belconnen to finish, uh, that there was a, a, something new in, in the competition, and I think I've seen it from, from Olympic as well, where there was a bit of adapting, adapting, excuse me, to the opponent, uh, because you know you've played them three, four times, and they and they know you now, so it's about trying to find uh, who has, I guess, the the biggest rabbit to get out of the hat. Um, is that? Did, did you feel like you had to try and? and do this? Or, or was it more we have a game plan, that's what we're going to do, and then who cares what they do across?
1: No, it was definitely an ad- adaptation that we felt we needed to make to try and win those games. So we did it against And after we lost that semi-final um, in the Cup. We realised it wasn't working for us, just trying to do what we did. So we needed to adapt, and after that, um, we adapted our formation every time we played gunga to try and bring out some of those strengths. So Learning that that was working well for us against that opponent, I think we got heaps better results against Gun through the year after we chose to do that. Um, and then when we came up against Bill Connon in those last, the two last league games, um, we realised we needed to do something different. They'd beaten us the other two times during the season. Um, we weren't quite finding the edge that we needed to in those games to win them, so we realised we had to make something change and change the picture a little bit on them so that's why we went to a four diamond two in both those matches um and then you saw in the prelim final it's a bit of a chess match what do they come out as what do we come out as and then um uh, learning and adapting that into the final i guess you know it, it it's a challenging um thing and it's a positive thing i guess for the league to see you know coaches and teams going at it in different different ways and different styles game by game
0: for context and anybody who's not aware uh, that that famous Canberra Olympic against Berkeley United game that decided the title uh, was played twice. Uh, the, the first time, uh, the the lights of the stadium went off at the 80th minute, and and Nicole Begainer Olympic were up 1-0. Uh, yet the game had to be interrupted and uh, and started back from the beginning uh, uh, a few days later. But I guess same thing, right? At the end, the success was there, so it's uh, it's easier to. Uh, to laugh at, it, I can only imagine the kind of conversation that would have happened if uh, if he had been a winner Riverside a week after. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta, yeah, you gotta have those ones in the season as well. Although, otherwise, it's less it's less fun to to win. Um, <laughs> you, you touched <laughs> about the the experienced player. Uh, I, I think this season um and you know not that I've been in, in Canberra for 45 years uh, but in the three seasons that I've commented, I think this season was probably the most impressive as far as talent uh everywhere like you said every team felt like they were they had the ability to to steal points uh from, from even the best teams in your team definitely a bit more experience a few young players. we mentioned um the, the one they were coming through the through the ranks uh, but other teams like Belco, like obviously the academy. Um, were relying a little bit more on on youth um mind you some that had been in their club for a while uh how how did you how did you feel about the competition and and what are your thoughts about um npl in in the capital these days
1: i think it was really interesting we might have even touched on it at the very start of the season um in the preview that there were so many experienced players this year that retired or left not just from olympic but um Deacon lost a lot of players this year, really, really experienced players um, out of the league and across a lot of the clubs. So there was like almost an exodus. So it was the year, I guess, where you've got that youth coming through um, and some of those teams that have those youth pathways built in, uh, you know, benefit from that. And then, yeah, you've got some other really good teams like ANU that have been sitting um, in the leagues below and have the chance to get promoted. They're well coached, they're well organised, they've got good players. So... Um, I think, yeah, we saw this year kind of a levelling, I guess, of, of all the teams. It wasn't just a couple of powerhouses at the top um, doing what they do. It was kind of, like you said, anyone could take points off anyone. You had to turn up every week or you might, you might drop points. So I guess um, it really highlights, like, for us, the challenge in keeping people playing you know, year on year, um, and I guess that's everyone's challenge across the league is to how can we make sure girls and women stay playing so that you know we don't, we're we not just getting the getting the young girls to be only just a bit experienced and suddenly they're gone again onto something different. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes into next year and the years going forward. Um, but I think. Yeah, making it enjoyable and showing respect for the for the level is important in making sure we kept those players and keep them. Um, I think we're pretty proud at Olympic at um, the fact, you know, we've benefited from keeping a lot of experienced players in the game because they want to be part of something good. Um, a lot of players have come back from retirement. You've got Matty Whittle and Olivia Gurney, you both hadn't played for years before they came back to play um, in the last couple of years. So, That's a good news story. And I guess, you know, the more that we can keep that going across the league, the more you'll see those players either coming back or staying. Um, It's also, I think, a little bit hard to be sustainable all year round with futsal and NPL and trials. People want to start trials in the next few weeks and then training and stuff like that. So you can't blame some people for getting getting sick of it a little bit and wanting to do something different. But, um, yeah, I guess... It is a massive opportunity over the next couple of years for the NPL to see where that talent, all that youth that's coming from, is um, where that's going to go.
0: Yeah, this year seemed uh, seemed like it was three in one, and especially for players like uh, like I'm thinking about Mickey Thornton, who's done who's gone uh, five times over the world uh, around the world with their futsal, um competitions uh, and, and the NTC at some point as well for the for the younger player. Uh, it does feel like sometimes there's a lot going on obviously some of the younger girls playing with schools and then uh, and then playing again with the npl on the weekend what, what do you think we can do to try and i guess you know sort of try, try and make it easier it's obviously always going to be um time taken on on your personal life with uh, whether they're studying or working or uh, or or, or I was going to say pretending to work, but I'm not going to be mean to anybody right there. Uh, Whatever they're doing outside of football, uh, what what can we do better maybe in the NPL to try and and keep them engaged?
1: I guess the one positive is that calendar that the Football Australia released this year that has all the activities and when the comps are going to be over the next 12 months. So it gives the capital football at least an opportunity to try and plan the season around those kind of known... Quantities like you know that NTC and NYC are going to be in set weeks, or there's school girls, or this is when the A League Women's is starting and finishing, and that kind of thing. So, you know, if they're they're strategic about how they plan it out, then maybe we don't run into some of those problems with, you know, girls having to go back to back to back to back all the time. Um, And I guess uh, clubs being realistic about the the asks that you have of these players, like, are you going to start preseason in December, or do you say? Have a little bit more time off and start in january february um when you're fresh and mentally ready to go um i guess because it starts getting draining not just for the players but for the coaches as well so i don't know i guess um understanding that and trying to make it make sure that we're setting the setting the season up for success and limiting some of those disruptions i think it'd be a massive step forward for everyone
0: yeah i think it's uh it's all too too important um talking a little bit about you know what what we're going to do next season i guess um what are we what are we doing nicole next season what's your what's your close future what's your late future we, we put something up uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, on front page football saying uh with all that success is she is she the the next one uh to go and get a shot in in the a leagues um t- tell us a little bit about what to expect from nicole Veg.
1: Uh, I think this coming season, I'll hopefully have my feet up reading a book a little bit more often or something like that. Um, I'm actually going to take a step away from coaching, um, moving forward for a little while and just spend some more time with the family. Um, My toddler's getting uh, very energetic and uh, demanding of time, and I'm happy to be spending more time with family in that respect. So uh, yeah, that's, that's my next season, maybe a little bit more relaxing.
0: Okay. Uh, that's that's obviously a uh, a shame it, if you, if you if you don't mind me uh asking um what you know what can the what can the sports do to try and accommodate this do you know what I mean it, that means that we're losing um you know one of the best coach that we have in the capital and and definitely a, a young and very talented coach uh from, from our favorite sports uh is is that do you think it just all comes down to to funding and and there's just not enough, Uh, full-time positions uh, for for coaches in football in general in the capital even more Uh, or or is it also that just even if there was you know i'm like i'm I'm not being a a hypocrite like i work in hospitality so i I work a few a few crazy hours and i decided to to sort of slow these down and then i thought you know if i wanted to do football major for living the hours would be the same so i'm not going to like Mm -hmm go too crazy this way either is is that a bit of that too even if you wanted to do that for a living you know that it's not a five days a week um, job it's a seven days a week job and so it might not just work out for some people
1: yeah I think as far as continuing to coach you know in the short term it's hard to get away from you know family and putting that as a priority like there's there's not that much you can do to solve that I think there are a lot of experiences over the last few years being a mum and one of the only women coaches in the league where you see it's not necessarily accommodating to be a woman coaching in the league and to be a mum coaching in the league. Um, There's been some really interesting situations and some challenging situations, I guess, at different points. Um, I think within Olympic, and um, for the most part, everyone's really supportive, so it makes it easy. Um, but yeah there's definitely some moments where you go i don't know if this is this is worth it or are we still stuck in the dark ages here um but yeah I think as far as the time the time commitment like you were saying for yourself there's not much you can do about some of that um, and in an ideal world you know in in stepping forward into you know other coaching roles and that that more professional environment like you said and I think um, I've heard on your podcast in the past it's similar to the players where <laughs> the coaching Positions aren't very well funded. There's not many coaching positions that are paid to a similar level as what you could get working a normal nine to five job um, with a bit of work-life balance and all that kind of stuff. So at the end of the day, it is a trade-off between what is um, viable for, for you as a, as a person or your family situation or whatever it is and what you're willing to sacrifice to get there. I feel like I've done a lot of that sacrificing to be a player when I was a player. Um, and, and, and doing that, which was, you know, the time of my life, you know, had the best, best experiences ever, but thinking about, you know, I'm not going to be naive about the fact that it's any easier or harder as a coach trying to make it in that there's only one, two coaches per team. There's 20 players in a squad, you know, it's really hard to make it at that level. Um, and so, yeah, the trade-offs for that. There's not many paid positions that are that are worth that kind of trade-off going around. So I guess that's probably one area for improvement um, going forward is making it a realistic pathway where it's not a massive sacrifice on both ends to be able to make it. Um, and and how can we encourage good coaches to stay in the to stay in the system longer, whether that's uh, male or female? I think
0: uh, I think whoever has a fully paid tg position they should uh, that should contact nicole Vegan and as long as they're okay with uh, her working from home as much as possible then they'll they'll meet success um <laughs> those will be my uh my final word for whoever's listening um nicole thank you for uh for giving me some of your time so sorry that it finished a bit on a, on a bittersweet note because i'm sure talking about the season uh, and then thinking that next season you you'll, you'll take a break um must must feel bittersweet but i really appreciate you uh giving us some of that time uh, and enjoy the the rest I guess, uh, summer, summer's coming now so so it's nice as well but I, I'm sure you won't be uh, too far from the grounds um, still in, in the coming seasons.
1: Yeah, thanks Jeremy and thanks for everything you do for the game and, and, and the media and the push that you give the local game I think it's really positive to get that story out there and um, really enjoyed um, having those conversations with you it's been great What's a goal! Green
0: with a stunner. Daniel Balac, he must score. He's going to score. Ever Croatia, leads. Real chance at the far end for McCarthy. And they've got one back. Oh, it's back here. it's unbelievable. What a finish. It's in. It's 1-1. Andre Carl
1: from the bench. Mayhem in the Panthers race.